Well, hey, like I said, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're doing something a little special this morning. You know, one of the things that we have a slide for almost every Sunday in the rotating loop, but that you don't hear us almost ever talk about is this idea of generosity, right? And there's a lot of different ways that you can be generous. You can be generous with your time, right? We have amazing people that volunteer and give time and energy and effort in our kids' ministry and our connect groups, right? They generously give of that time. There's people that leverage their talents, like Maggie and Zach just coming up here. They were practicing yesterday. They were playing last night. They got here early this morning. While the rest of their team slept in, these guys came and got here early. So big props to them, right? Generous with their talents. And then obviously for us, the opportunity to be generous with our treasure, our finances, the way that God has blessed us in that area. And so one of the things that we say here at Steel City is that generosity, right? It helps us remove barriers and create opportunities um, for just the advancement of the gospel, for the opportunity for maybe someone to engage with who Jesus is and to learn and live his ways. And so as a church, one of the things that we've made a commitment to, there have been so many people that have been generous to us, other churches like LifePoint who have financially given to us to help make some of what we do possible. And we have many churches like that. But then many of you are, are generous with your giving and your tithe and your offering. And so one of the things that we wanted to make a commitment to as a church from day one is to say, as people in our church give, we don't want to just use it for us, but we want to give some of it back. We want to see it go back out. So we made a commitment as we kind of went into our budget year this year that 10% of all of our internal giving would go back out um, to international missions, uh, to regional work that's being done. We support a church plant in Philly, for example. We love Philly, not as much as Pittsburgh, but it's cool. Philly's cool, you know. But then we have local partners here too, uh, people in the city, right? One of our, our values is that we want to be not only in the city, but for the city. And the reality for us is we're here in Greenfield. There's some neighborhoods that surround us that we know we have people come from, but Pittsburgh is a city of 90 neighborhoods. I um, mean, there are so many places where amazing work is being done, and we might not be the best people to do that work because there's already people that are there that are doing that work. And so one of those organizations that we partner with that we are absolutely excited about, we have people that volunteer here, we have kids that are a part of this, is the Urban Impact Foundation. Um, and for those of you that have not heard of Urban Impact, they've been around since 1995. They were founded by Ed Glover and his wife, Tammy, and they just had a heart as they were living on the north side, um, and they just saw some of the brokenness that was involved in the lives of these kids and in their families and just things that were going on. They realized that they had an opportunity um, to be people who were living out the Great Commission um, in a holistic way. Right? And so they started this ministry, they started this movement where they were working with young children and youth and their families through arts, through sports, through just being in the lives of these people um, to help see them developed into just full followers of Jesus. And so we love this organization, but then for us being relational and personal, it's not that we just wanted to support the organization, but we wanted to support a person. And so today I'm going to invite up Adam Kennard. So Adam, if you want to go ahead and come up here, give it up for Adam as he makes his way up here. I have you grab the mic over here. Look at this guy. He's repping the shirt too. Man, what a legend. What a great 
What a great, what a great job just, you know, branding and stuff, man. You know what's funny? So I, I do a lot of our web and I get one too. Do you think this looks good? Come on, let's go. Goes. Let's go. Oh yeah, this one's this one feels special and unique. There you go. I, so I've coached, I've coached <laughs> soccer for Urban Impact. I've gone to some of the events, I've seen some people, but I don't have this shirt, so I only have coach shirt. It's special. I feel special right now. You should feel special. Uh, yeah, no, so uh, so what's funny is I do a lot of our web and graphic design stuff and we use the same font. Like the, the font that's on your website, that's the font we use. So I, we'll have to figure out who actually designed their website first, probably them. Uh, but <laughs> we didn't steal it, I promised, our designer. Maybe our designer did. I'll email him later, like, where'd you get this font from? But well, hey, Adam, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit because you are, Adam is actually doing some work for my house. He's doing some new cabinets for my wife and I. So very, very exciting. So I've already gotten to know him a little bit, but none of these guys know you. And so, Adam, tell us a little bit about your story, um, kind of your journey to becoming a part of the Urban Impact Foundation. Yeah, so uh, I was born in Louisiana. I was raised in Texas, and I came to Pittsburgh in the fall of 2012 to attend graduate school. Um, and through graduate school, I was attending a church. That church got me connected to Urban Impact. Uh, and then in the spring, February of 2015, I was asking the question, like, what am I going to do after graduation? And uh, I started asking the question in a genuine way to the Lord, uh, being really open-handed with it. Like, what would you have me do? And uh, it took seven months to get that answer. Um, it was arduous, and I like to call it my arduous discernment phase. And uh, I showed up at the doorstop or the door stoop of Urban Impact and said, hey, I really think I should be here. And they said, great. Thumbs up. Uh, wait another three months and we'll figure out if you, you can actually come on board. And I was like, cool. Uh, so I became a glorified volunteer in August of 2015 and waited another three months. And I did not get the official green light until the end of October. Mm. Um, and then uh, one of the aspects uh, that is unique to Urban Impact not unique to Urban Impact because this gentleman does it too. Uh, but I have a ministry partner team that prays and gives financially for me to stay and sustain in Pittsburgh. So um, I was launched in November of 2015 to create that team. And then I finally came on full time February 1st of 2016. So mm -hmm. now I've been there for over six and a half years or just over six years. And uh, I actually met my wife at Urban Impact. Four years ago, she was there. That's worth a clap. It's worth yeah, a clap. Thanks. Uh, she no longer works at Urban Impact, but that is where we met. So awesome. Now, don't let him sell himself short here. He went to Carnegie Mellon University. Okay, this guy, dude. Yeah. Okay, we got a guy with it. No, and and so even when we talk about the idea of maybe using some of your talents and gifts uh, for the sake of ministry. Um, that's a huge part of, of what you are doing now. So tell us a little bit more specifically about the ministry work that you're doing and how it's having an impact in, in the lives of kids in the community that you guys are reaching. Yeah, so, um, so my background, I actually have, uh, I went to Mississippi State and got a secondary ed degree, and then there we go, uh, and then I went to Carnegie Mellon and got a, a, a technical theater degree. So I actually use both of my degrees, so uh, for you young people that parents might say that you get this fancy degree and then you're not going to actually use it in ministry, 
I am a case in point that I use both of my degrees in ministry every day. So um, I lead a, uh, oversee a construction uh, training program that trains within the, the context of theatrical scenery. So I uh, teach sixth through 12th graders how to build um, safely all within theater. So if you happen to come to one of our productions, either in uh, a couple of times a year, and we can get those dates out. The next one that's coming up in is in August. Uh, it will have all those dates and times and marketing materials for you all at, later on. But um, the students will build 70 to 90% of everything you see on stage. Mm. So uh, I... I walk in faith every day. I put a circular saw in the hand of a seventh grader and I turn my back and I say, use it safely. So, um, you know, if that's not an aspect of faith, I don't really know what is. I do that with Chris every day. So <laughs> I say, you're preaching Sunday and then I turn my back and hope that, hope that works out. So I feel you, I feel you. Dude, well, that's awesome. What, hey, even as you kind of just think about where you guys are going, um, I wanted to highlight these guys are about to have their first baby in yep. a month. Yeah. And so obviously uh, that is an, an amazing and, and an incredible thing. And so we want to be praying for you guys as you do that. But I wanted to just ask you uh, before we kind of shift into this next part of the gathering here. Um, we're going to pray for you. I wanted to just ask, like, what's one way our church, the people in our church, can be praying for you even just over the next three to six months? Most definitely that uh, shift to parenthood uh, and balancing being a husband, being uh, a father, and then uh, being a worker at Urban Impact and keeping all of those things in a healthy tension uh, to serve the Lord um, yeah, in those three areas of life, and then all the other areas of life of too, you know. But Absolutely. yeah, most definitely that because that's a huge transition. Absolutely. Hey, I'm gonna pray for him. Hey, if you wanna extend your hands out, um, if you are one of our Connect Group leaders and you'd wanna come up and actually, you don't have to, guys. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but if you want to come up um, and be a part of laying hands on Adam here, we're gonna pray for him and his wife, and then we'll go ahead and get to hear the word of God. So, um, pray for you here now. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for another brother in the city, um, for the fact that your kingdom is a broad kingdom. It is a, is it a global kingdom, God, and that we get to stand here, not only ourselves on the shoulders of faithful men and women who have gone before us, but that in our city, um, even across state lines this morning, we get to link arms with other faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing your work. So for Adam, as he just goes in, and God, we know that the faith that he has definitely, uh, as great as it is to put a circular saw into the hands of a seventh grader, um, is demonstrated in so many other ways beyond that, Lord. Uh, to step in faithfully and to raise the support, to step in faithfully, um, to leverage just even the degrees, the talent, his time, and even treasure that sacrificed by being in ministry, Lord God, to just help these kids and their families and people on the north side maybe get the opportunity to come know you as they're sanding or planting some wood, God, that maybe that conversation just sparks something in them and it leads to an entire generation of change in that one kid's life, and then that generation not only becomes something that spreads through their family, but becomes eternal change 
God, as they come to know you. And so we just first and foremost lift up Adam and his ministry. God, would you just continue to work through him? God, would you continue to change the hearts of people through the work that him and the Urban Impact Foundation are doing? God, would you continue to provide for him? And as he steps into this new season of being a father, we pray for him and his wife, Lord God, that number one, you would just protect them as they're in this final month. God, would you just continue to watch over them and bring this child into the world safely? God, watch over her, continue to help her bring this child into the world safely. And then as they can finish out the preparation of their home, God, would you just also help them to just be making those final preparations in their hearts and their minds um, to just know how to come alongside this child and, and pour into them and disciple them and that this child would come to know you. And so, God, we thank you again so much that we get to link arms with people across the city with our brother and sister here this morning. And God, we just pray that you would continue to use the Urban Impact Foundation in amazing and incredible ways um, to make this city a place where people can learn and live the ways of Jesus. So we pray all of these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is incredible to support such a great ministry um, that Adam and, and his wife are doing together um, here in the city. And again, just reiterating what Zach said is the fact that we're able to do that because of you, because of your generosity. And so that, I think, shows your heart, and that is a very humbling thing for us to see constantly as your pastors, is just how generous um, you are as people um, with your time and your talent and even your treasure. Um, so Adam, we're going to continue to pray for you all, especially moving in this this. Um, season of life, and I get a chance to work out with Adam. Um, I rarely ever see him in the light. He's much better looking in the dark, so because we usually work out before the sun comes up, and so I look forward to continue building that relationship and doing that, and, and we as a church family will commit to pray for you and continue to support and, and care for you. So we are going to continue in our Cultivate series, which is a series of Mark rooted in belief is what we want for us here at Still City Church. And then that belief doesn't just sit there as some intellectual gathering of facts and understanding, but then comes out in our obedience and actions and what we do. Um, you know, the first, the first sentence of Mark is Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, and he is the Son of God. He is fully man and fully God. Jesus has come to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And so that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're wanting to cultivate in our heart because if Jesus is who he says he is and is going to do what he said he's going to do, then it matters to us. And it matters deep in our hearts. And so that's what we want to cultivate within ourselves is a rooted belief in who Jesus is and then see that pour out within us. Today we're going to be in Mark 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, we're going to read it here in just a minute. But we're going to be in Mark 2. We're going to looking at when Jesus said, I have come. I have come. And on the screen, you're going to see this beautiful picture. Just a... You see the snow, so it definitely is a, a place that's cold, but just a, a beautiful scenery um, of this place. This is Grassy Narrows, Ontario. There's actually a picture on Google um, that just showed the sunset and just such a serene and just 
lovely spot, and you see the water coming in. Grassy Narrows is a reserve for a native tribe um, to Canada, and they've been this this tribe has been there for hundreds of years, and this is what they get to see. This water flow in. They live off the river, and it's just a beautiful spot. In the 1960s and 70s, however, a chemical plant of the Reed Paper Mill just up the river in Dryden, Ontario, dumped 9,000 kilograms of mercury into this river. The fish which were in the river, the fish which are grassy narrows, chief food source were of course filled with poison and because that's their chief food source every person in grassy narrows was also filled with poison and of course we know about mercury poisoning that once ingested it never goes away. It actually bioaccumulates. It, it passes from one generation to the next and to the next, from mother to child through the placenta. You know, after decades of health struggles in this tribe and struggling with lack of access to health care and no one wanting to really help address the problem that they had within themselves, the Ontario government finally stepped in, finally stepped in. $85 million were appropriated to help, to help clean up the river, not to help the people. The tribe's chief was quoted to say, I kind of resent the fact that they're going to spend the money to do a cleanup, but ignore the fact that we're dying from mercury poisoning. You know, in this community, everyone was sick. Everyone was sick. It didn't matter what your lifestyle was. You could be the guy. You could be that guy that sat on the couch every single day and hammered fried fish. Like, you want your fish fried. You're all about the sugary drinks. You might partake in a couple beers here and there. And you never get up out of the couch. You're the most sedentary lifestyle possible. Or you could be in Grassy Narrows and be the biggest health freak. And you get your fish grilled all the time. And you eat the vegetables and everything else that come from that area. But the problem is, you're all dying of the same poison. You know, Mark today in our passage contrasts two different groups of people. And he's actually going to say at some point in time that we have sick people and we have healthy people. And then Jesus actually uses that analogy. He flips it because who wants to, to hear a health lecture from me? As my buddy, my, 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 one of my best friends says, he says, hey, this body was not built on broccoli. All right, so hearing a health lecture from a guy whose body was not built on broccoli does not sound very good, right? So Jesus uses the analogy then to switch it into sinners and the righteous. Sinners and the righteous. And, you know, spiritually speaking, some of you might already have categorized yourself. 
You already know what category you're going to fall in when Jesus says the sinners and the righteous. And now you're thinking, man, a, a health lecture from a guy whose body's not built on broccoli might not be a bad thing. So let's, let's hear the health lecture first. We're not going to do a health lecture today. Um, if you already know what category you're in there, um, you could have pulled up this morning and had to take a deep breath before you even got out of your car. <sighs> Here we go again. Here we go again. Man, I know I messed up this week. Here we go again. Or you could have been on the other side. You could have come bounding into the church because this morning you did your good deeds workout. You've already got some good deeds out of the way. Coming to church was just another check on your box. Here you are. So we're going to have these, these two groups contrasted today. And, but the thing is, we have to understand that just like in the illustration, outwardly we may present differently. Outwardly we may present differently. But inwardly, we all have a problem. So today, the objective for today is what we want you to do as you leave today is you should triage your heart. Why? Because the doctor is in. The doctor is in. So let's see what this crazy health lecture preacher is talking about. So if you would, open in your Bibles to Mark 2, 15 through 17. At Steel City Church, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're willing and able. We stand on the rock of the Word. This is one of the most important things that we do in corporate worship is we read the Word of God together. If you listen to anything today, listen to this. It's the most important part. Why? Because this is the Word of the Lord. Mark chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. And it happened that he, who is Jesus, was reclining at the table in his house, as Levi's house. And many tax collectors and many sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating, with, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, hearing this, said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. For the grass weathers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. You know, I love the way that Mark starts this out. Mark says, it kind of takes me back to my childhood when I would get caught kind of in the middle of doing something. And Mark starts this out essentially by saying, culturally speaking, what had happened was is how I would have to explain that to my mom. What happened, mom? Is see the thing? And who's he dining with? You see, Jesus is chilling with his people. And wait, he's dining with who? Who is he dining with? This is blowing some people's minds. So I'm going to put on the screen, going back to elementary school, since we're going back there, there's a Venn diagram. We're not going to use the Venn diagram. I just want you to kind of use it to kind of frame. This is just a mental frame for comparing and contrasting. We have two groups, and there definitely is an overlap here. So what's one of the groups? Well, let's start with those. Start with those that are sick or unhealthy, or we could call them the sinners. 
We have two distinct groups here. Number one, we have the tax collectors. There are tax collectors here. So who are the tax collectors and why do they matter? Well, this might help frame it some. So if you are probably, I don't know, under the age of about 16 maybe, and if you're a kid at heart or you're a parent or you're a grandparent, you have probably heard this very popular song that's out right now that comes from the movie Encanto. And it is... We don't talk about Bruno, all right? So we don't talk about Bruno, no, 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 all right? And because of what Bruno did, his mama don't even talk about him. His family doesn't talk about him. Well, the tax collectors are Jewish people that aren't talked about because they basically have sold themselves to the Roman government to do the Roman government's bidding in, the, in relation to tax collecting. Nobody in America likes the IRS. They definitely didn't like the Roman government taking their taxes. And what these Jewish men would do is if you caught some fish somewhere and you pulled them out, there might be a $2 tax on those, on those fish. Well, the, the Jewish tax collector who sold his soul to the Roman government may charge you actually $10. And so he's giving the two to the Roman government and he's taking eight. And so these tax collectors lived just lavish, exorbitant lifestyles because they were basically ripping off their own people. We don't talk about Bruno. All right? They were not talked about very favorably in the Jewish population. And here, just before these verses, we actually see Jesus call this guy named Levi, who was later named Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. What was Levi's occupation? Tax collector. Jesus calling sinners. But that's not the only group there. If that wasn't bad enough, there was also this group that was called just straight up the sinners. Your Bible might have translated that slightly different. They were regarded as inferior people because of their outward actions. They could be called outcasts or misfits. They were that messy group of people that you just didn't want to be around. And even one, one translation calls them disreputable. That's what um, Eugene Peterson in the message says. So culturally, their outward actions demonstrated that they may be broken beyond repair based on cultural expectations. Now, possibly they could be redeemed to an acceptable cultural standard, but let's be real. It wasn't likely. It's easier just to cast them aside and to bust on them. So now these sinners, though, we kind of see where they are they're with Jesus. They knew something was wrong. A lot of times when you're sick, you know something is wrong. If you do something that's not necessarily culturally acceptable, you know. And so they're realizing that, you know what, there's something wrong, and I don't think I can fix it. You know, I, I, they knew they were sick. They knew that they needed help. They just didn't quite know what help they needed. So that's one side of it. We have our sick, we have our sick or unhealthy, unrighteous, our sinners here on this one side. But the other group that we see, we have to be very careful with. These are what are titled as like our righteous or healthy people. Now, for a sinner, these people were the gym rats, yoga doing, calorie counting, vegan minimalists. All right, these were those ones that just knew they had their life all together. How do you know if somebody like practices a healthy lifestyle? Don't worry, they'll tell you. All right, they're gonna they're gonna let you know. Con like I, I don't I don't eat that. I don't do that. 
So I work out five times a day. Good, good for you. Um, so, but they were counting their righteousness based on their outward actions. That's how they were defining who they were, their outward, their outward actions that were coming out. You know, they followed the culturally acceptable practices as much as possible. And the thing is, is they practiced these and they held so tightly to these outward expressions of their righteousness that they didn't even want to get near the sinners, that in this cultural expression of who they were, that if they got near sinners, they were scared that they were going to catch it. And then they'd have to go through this like ritualistic practice of cleansing themselves. And ain't nobody got time for that. So they wouldn't even get near these sinners. They were literally like, just keep these people away from us. We don't want to catch whatever they have. One side didn't like the other. The other side didn't like the other. It's just a mess. All right, so here you have these two different groups of people. And, you know, the thing that we have to realize is, man, in our culture, we love to contrast things. And we love to contrast things on like a major scale, and we see that in politics. We see that in the news. We see that constantly. But the one thing that we don't like to do is compare. You know, we love, especially as young people, we like to contrast our parents. Like, I ain't like that. But when somebody says the apple don't fall far from the tree, you're like, uh-uh, I don't act like my dad. No, 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 no. Don't compare me to my dad. I'm different. No, you're not. You just say. So here, we, we like the contrast we struggle with the comparison. There is definitely a comparison here. These circles overlap. We have to realize if we go back to the illustration, we have to compare here that no matter what group, what health practices these people in Grassy Narrows practiced, everyone was sick. Bioaccumulation happened for everyone. They were passing this poison through generations. No one was okay. This poison affected their mind, their body, and their spirit. The symptoms of it were far-reaching, and it was something they couldn't fix. Well, Jesus in himself implicitly is screaming the same thing to us as we see these two sides being contrasted, is that the comparison is actually the fact that they have the same problem that shows itself in two different ways. And we have to realize that, you know what, we kind of fall in that same group. For it says in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. What is sin? It's failure to reflect God in our thoughts, our actions, and our being. We all have this problem. The, the sinners and those that were righteous, the sick and the healthy, they all had this underlying issue that needed help. And we have to realize that we, too, have ingested, even 2,000 years later, we've ingested the same poison. And sadly, that poison ends in an eternal death. But the good news is here. The doctor is in. He's here. Jesus is sitting there. He's hanging out with sinners. The cultural elites challenge him. The righteous people who outward actions seem to check all the boxes. They seem to have everything together. They're the ones that don't want to get close to these people because they might catch and they challenge Jesus. Jesus, you're a Jewish male as well. Why are you doing these things? 
And he responds to him in verse 17. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. So there has to be an acknowledgement here, though. This is kind of some weird wording because if you could read, read the Greek text, we kind of see Jesus's personality come out. Jesus drops some air quotes on us here. You know, we used to use, my wife and I will use air quotes at the time as we, we, we describe things. And Edie actually picked up on it one day and just randomly out of nowhere, she said, Daddy, I have to go to the bathroom. And I was like, that's good, Edie. I don't think you really need to go to the bathroom. I think you need to go to the bathroom. So, so Jesus is not playing games here. He actually drops some air quotes as he's saying righteous and he's saying healthy. He's doing it tongue in cheek. And he's making it very clear to them that this is not okay either and that their righteous lifestyle isn't helping them. You know, the sick and the sinners here are demonstrating a level of acknowledgement. You know, they felt the pressure. They felt the cultural pressure because they broke all the cultural norms. You know, Jesus is well aware of these outward-facing issues in both groups, especially of those of the sinner. But he really is focusing, because he's Jesus, because he's the Christ, because he's the Son of God, of this underlying issue for both groups. You know, Jesus knows for someone that's dying, like dying, dying of something that's underlying, a healthy lifestyle isn't going to be what solves that. Jesus knew the root issue needed to be addressed. You know, working out more isn't going to cure the results of poison in our system. Just like more good works, more cultural acceptable practices aren't going to undo our sin. One thing that we do need to acknowledge in here, though, is there is a priority given to the sick. But everybody's sick. Yes, there's a priority given to those who acknowledge their sickness. We see this in Jesus eating, freely eating and drinking with those that were deemed to be sinners. And there were many that were following him. Many. It says it twice. Mark's pointing our attention to the number of people that were disreputable that were following Jesus. But now we have to realize because he's the good doctor, what does a good doctor do? We have many medical professionals in here. And all of them just have it ooze out of them how much they want to care for their patients and how much they want to heal and set their patients up for success. And if Jesus, the great physician, the great doctor, is coming for the cure, he's coming to give us the cure. That's what doctors do. And so where do we see this cure? If there is an underlying sin problem, something has to be done to the sin. If he came for sinners then the, and for the sick, then he surely didn't just come to address the symptoms. 
He didn't just come to give us Band-Aids and lollipops. That's not solving the issue. He came to provide a cure. Jesus never once in this justifies sin. He never says it's okay. He never just pushes our sin aside, and he definitely doesn't in this passage. Why? Because our sickness is going to result in absolute death. And so there's got to be another way than just sloughing our sin aside and saying, ah, it's okay, it's not going to make you that sick. Nah, this stuff results in death. So we have to come to realization, and we actually talked about it some the last time we met together. There's this repentance and belief that must take place where we turn from the way that we're going and we turn to Jesus and we believe in who he is. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Then something happens. What happens here? Our sins are forgiven. The greatest cure we can ingest is that our sins are forgiven. But sometimes we have a misconception of what this was. So I want to define this for you as best as I possibly can. The cure to our deepest need is the forgiveness of our sins, something that Jesus did for us, not work that we did, but something that he did, which we're going to make very clear here in just a little bit. But when we say forgiveness, what we mean is our sins are actually separated from us. The mercury poisoning that's incurable is actually pulled out of us, not left right next to us so we can ingest it again. But it is separated fully from us, all of our deeds, for all time. The sins that you have committed, you are committing now, and the ones that you will commit are all separated from you. And then with that, they then are fully and eternally concealed from you. That is the cure that Jesus provides for us. And we have to remember, what are our sins? What are these deeds? It's our failure to reflect God in our thoughts and our actions and our being. Listen to what other places say about this. When he separates our sin, he pulls it out of us and removes it from us. How far does he remove it from us? Psalm 103, 12 paints the picture beautifully. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Now listen, if you start walking north, you will sooner or later begin walking south. Let me say it again so you can process it. If you start walking north, you will sooner or later start walking south. If you start walking east, you will never start walking west. They are infinitely far apart from each other. He separates our sins, conceals them, and removes them as far as the east is from the west. But it doesn't stop there. At the moment of repentance, at the moment that we turn from what we are doing, the destructive practices of our life, Satan's domain of darkness on our heart, and we turn towards God and start moving in that direction, 
Therefore, in Romans 8, 1, there is now no, at this moment, now no condemnation. There is no eternal death exclusive for those in Christ Jesus, for those who have repented and believed. The death that you were to die is no more. And then this one, I think, just blew me away this week as I read this. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Jesus, in who? In Jesus, the doctor is in. The cure is here. We receive the forgiveness, the separation, the concealment of our sins according to the riches of Jesus's grace, that grace that he poured out on the cross that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit, which he lavished, not sprinkled, not just enough, but he pours on us constantly to the point that we feel like we're drowning in his grace. He lavishes that on us. The good doctor is not just here to prescribe medicine, but he's here to take it all for us. He's not just here to cure us and send us on our way. But he's here to cure us and empower us and be with us and encourage us and lift us up constantly. In Jesus, we receive forgiveness for our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. A statement that I've had to process a lot related to this, and it just blows my mind to think, my actions, your actions, cannot earn you forgiveness resulting in righteousness. You can be one of the righteous and check all the boxes the righteous. You can check all the boxes you want and you're not going to earn forgiveness because Jesus earned the forgiveness for us. But on the flip side of that is, and this is where I think a lot of our people need to hear Those that are followers in Jesus Christ, this is what we need to rest in, is the fact that your actions cannot lose you forgiveness resulting in unrighteousness. If all your sins have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west, you go try to track them down. Have fun. You're going to be running a long time. Your actions cannot lose you forgiveness resulting in unrighteousness. The thing is, we should triage our heart. Why? Because the doctor's in. There is some processes that we need to take and we need to consider to accept this, to realize that we're sick. Remember, priority is given to those that understand they are sick. In the hospital, when you go into the ER, they, they, they go through a process, triage, determine who is sick and who is sicker and who is sickest and who just needs to go home. So we must triage our hearts. What's the steps of triaging our heart? Well, when you walk into the ER, you realize, number one, they do is they start asking you about your symptoms. I got a headache. My arm is swollen. I got a fever. 
Name it, name your symptoms. Will symptoms help drive down into what the root cause of the problem? A fever is not necessarily the root cause. It's pointing to something else. So we have to realize we have symptoms that are coming out of us. Galatians 5, 19 to 23, we're not going to go through it, but it's a great passage to look at symptoms. It demonstrates the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are beautiful, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Symptoms that come out of a full heart. It's easy at times to be happy. It's hard to fake joy. It's easy at times to be nice. And if you're a Southern nice, you can even say, bless their little heart, right? But man, it's hard to be gentle. It's hard to be patient. Sometimes it's hard to love. What are the symptoms that you're seeing? That can kind of put you on a litmus test there. Well, they ask you about symptoms, and then what do they always do after they ask you about symptoms? But they're going to check your vitals. They're going to check your fever. They're going to check your blood pressure. They're going to check your pulse and other vital signs that they need. So some vital signs that you need to check based on your symptoms. A very serious question is, have you repented and believed? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because if you've not done that, then that forgiveness is not there. That's the step for forgiveness. Now, if you have then another vital sign that you have to ask yourself is the difference, and we talked about this a, a little bit uh, two weeks ago, is are you working or are you resting? These righteous, righteous people were working to earn their righteousness. They were doing all the culturally accepted practices. Is that you? Have you repented and believed and you're still trying to earn the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned for you on the cross by just checking the box? Now, the other side of this is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ that maybe has some issues in one area or another with sin? We are all in that boat Jesus has separated our sins, concealed our sins, thrown them as far as the east is from the west, and we still have guerrilla warfare taking place in our heart. And maybe you have something going on in your life that you can deem to be sinful. Are you working to undo that on your own power? Do you feel like, man, I've got to do 15 good works to undo that bad one. That is still works-based forgiveness, and it's not going to work because Jesus Christ did it for us. Are you resting in the grace that he is lavishing on you? That's where we get freedom. Those are your vital signs after you get the vital signs, you move the next steps, and they begin to determine a care plan, a very 
a very real next step is just pure denial. And I'm sure our healthcare professionals in here can tell story after story after story of them providing an option for next steps, for care, to cure whatever this ailment or issue is. And that person saying, "Mm -mm, I don't want to do that. I'm not sick. I'm out. Some of them are laughing right now because I know it's happened. But I'll tell you, denying the fact that you're sick doesn't make you not sick. So denial's an option. Well, if it's not denial, then what are some steps you can move forward? Uh, confession is a very real one. Confessing to confessing to God, if we are faithful and I'm sorry, if we, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of that. He's already separated. If we acknowledge to him, the root word of confession is agree. If we agree with him that we're not reflecting him in our thoughts, our actions, and our being, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of those unrighteous actions. We can confess to God within ourselves We don't have to go somewhere else to do that. You could do that right now. You could do that here in just a little bit. But I tell you, very powerful for me is just like I had a phone call with my best friend the other day, and I confessed to him some things. And man, it's like taking that little door of the Explorer knapsack that I carry around with my sins in it as I try to run east, chasing my sins to the west. I take that thing off. I'm like, man, Marshall, I did this, and I'm sorry. And he's like, you all right, Bo? Come on, man. Don't do it again. But when we confess to each other, it matters. It demonstrates a posture of humility. But there's a next step even further than that. It's community. Maybe that's what you're looking for, is gospel-oriented community, not a church service. Don't lie to yourself and think just this hour, hour and a half long thing is church. This is not Church. Church is gospel community throughout the week where we as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ lock arms together, not to create Christian bubbles and bubble wrap each other from the world, but it's so we can lock arms together so we can invite others in to experience the beauty that we get lavished upon from Jesus. We do that in connect groups at Steel City Church. Maybe that's what you're looking for, a great another next step. Maybe you're in that is what we have offered here in just a little bit, our discipleship program. Discipleship is scripture, reading, prayer, meditation, and memorization of scripture, confession to each other, accountability, fellowship together. Making disciples, we challenge each other to look more and more like Jesus. What's your next step? You have to triage your heart because the doctor's in. So we're going to move into a time of what I think is the most important thing that we do. And I'll go ahead and tell you, Connections team, actually, there's one right here. I always forget my little thing. So we're going to move into a time of, of communion. 
And we're gonna spend some time reflecting upon this because I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't help you paint the picture of what Matthew, I think, or what Mark is showing us here. You know, the picture of Christ dining with sinners here, it's actually foreshadowing. It's pointing ahead to this beautiful thing that happens in Revelation 19, six through nine. We see this initiation of the wedding feast of the lamb. We see this initiation of where Jesus begins this process of dining with his church. Who's his church? That's us. Broken, wretched sinners gathered with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Now, the thing is, the wedding feast of the Lamb, it's an invite only. It's only those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Those that are sick, they won't be invited. And the thing is, Jesus knew this. He knew this was an invite-only thing. And this is why he came. He came to get to the wedding feast. Something had to happen, and this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus knew the only way to cure our sickness was to go through this process of developing the cure, and that cure involved his body being broken and his blood being poured out. And with that combination, that would satisfy God's justice, allowing us to experience and embody the cure, which is forgiveness leading to righteousness. So when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, they were having a feast, and Jesus, well aware, knowing what was to come. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing it, And giving it to them, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. (laughs) And then he took, he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And he was saying, this is my blood, which is for the covenant, which is poured out for many. Take it, drink it, and do this in remembrance of me. In the pew in front of you, you have a connect card. And it's got some lines on it for you to fill out some information that, that's completely up to you if you want to share that information. But one thing we want to do in this time is give you a little bit of time to reflect on what has just been said, what we just worshiped about, what we just talked about from Scripture. You know, we have to triage our heart. We have to look deep. We have to look for symptoms. And we have to look at vital signs. And we have to go to next steps. That's what we're here to do together as the body of Christ, is to do that. And so we're going to take about a minute to maybe 90 seconds of just complete and absolute awkward silence, because we don't have complete and absolute awkward silence a lot as Americans. We fill it with noise and music and podcasts and people and whatever else. But here, we're just going to just take a minute just to reflect. 
you've got a prayer request that we could, could pray for, put that in there. If you've got a next step that you want to take, put that in there. If you want to, put it in the, and there's, there's some baskets in the back for you to put it in. If not, maybe you just want to write something down just to jog your memory and maybe a next step that you need. So we're going to give you about a minute just to sit in awkward silence and enjoy it and reflect. Lord Jesus, what you did for us on the cross is humbling and amazing. The fact that you would break your body and pour out your blood for us on our behalf because you knew we could not do it. There's no boxes we could check to earn the forgiveness that you freely give and you freely lavish upon us. Lord, as far as the east is from the west, so far as you've removed our transgressions from us, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, it is in you that we receive forgiveness, and it is in your grace that we rest. Lord, let us as a church body lock arms together in a community that invites others in to experience how great you are. Lord, let our worship be pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you. Let it come from our hearts, not just from our heads, not just from our actions. But Lord, dig us deep. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.